And Father, we thank you for the reality of what we've just sung to you, that you're the one who raises up broken lives. Father, that in you that we find a story of hope. That Father, you're the one that lifts us out of the condition we find ourselves. You're the one who breaks chains, that uh, hold us in darkness. And Father, you're the one that we get to see and experience all that you bring to life. Father, I pray that you bless our time together this morning in your word, for it's in your son's name. Amen. You all may be seated. Well, church family, good to be back with you. Last night, we celebrated baptism and uh, communion, the Lord's Supper together, and I saw one member, and I said, I feel like I'm just not connected because, like last Sunday I was here, and then I immediately went to Kansas City, and from Kansas City, I went down to San Antonio, and while I'm traveling around and doing all this thing, I'm getting to hear good things. For example, today up in Canada, we're seeing a brand new group of missionaries on a college campus in Vancouver that are just wanting to engage a very, very lost part of North America. That's always good to hear. But you know what I miss? I miss just staying connected with what's going on at 12th Avenue in Emporia. So last night it was good to come and get to celebrate baptism. Three people uh, were baptized. And today, those of you here in first service, you're probably not going to stick around. But I hear we're going to do baptism over there with the International Church with two Koreans that couldn't be baptized last night. And Garen has invited any of us who want to go watch an international baptism that's a little bit different. Uh, he says it's a really exciting time, so... Uh, Y'all, you're welcome to be over there if it fits your schedule, but if, if not, I totally understand. Okay, getting ready for this weekend. First of all, y'all, I didn't know you had these. Somebody should have told me that you have name tags. Now, you don't know how I've tried to memorize names and pictures and try to get you all connected. Well, you have name tags. And so here's what we're going to do. I got my little name tag on. Starting Friday night, because we're going to have so many guests here, the missionaries don't know you. And you're going to get to know them because they're going to have their little name tag on. And so the mission team asked that all of us, they'll be back there in the welcome area, please get your name tag and just wear your name tag so that we can be a little bit more family. We've got first names, and you all are going to bless me because there's some of you I call the first name wrong every time, and then I have to apologize and try to learn. So name tags for Friday night, and then as we get started, Jordan, I can't wait to see. I, you didn't talk about your strategy for your basketball team, but I hear you're trying, and so I'm just looking forward to see what's going to happen uh, on Friday night as we get started. The other Announcement, if you've got your bulletins, would you get this white card out? I want to talk about this just a little bit. Because a faith promise offering is a significant piece of this mission weekend. Last, Jordan did well. Um, I think, Jordan, I think you've graduated from therapy. I know you don't want me to talk about it. But I think you're done, dude. <laughs> The competition in prayer, uh, you just really entertained me with all that. And Lucy, great job of pulling that together for us. Just make mission week as we get ready for it uh, interesting. 
But the faith promise offering is a part of what we're going to do to pull together as the body of Christ here in Emporia that is an interesting way to do this. Notice there's no name. This is between you and the Lord. And to ask Him, you know, it's passed out today. For the next week, pray about it. If you feel confident even today, you can detach the little card and drop it in the offering plate. But asking God to do something unique and unusual. And I want you to know that as a missionary, where we lived in places where you never know what could, what could happen, uh, health-wise, I mean, I had, I sell, no, I, I don't want to take too much credit, but I had to have my appendix removed. And I was in a place where there is no doctor. And I luckily, not luckily, God provided a resource called Where There Is No Doctor. And reading that book and laying on our living room floor while Priscilla is cooking lunch, I'm laying there self-diagnosing that I've got a problem with my appendix. And I tell you what, if it wouldn't have been for the resources that churches like this one make available for the emergency, I don't know what happened. I got out to a, a, a hospital an hour away from where we lived. We lived in the capital city of a province or a state. They, they didn't have a hospital good enough that I wanted to spit myself to. And so we went on out in the bush, and I had my appendix removed in the afternoon. And I'm still here today. I'm grateful for the emergency fund that was made available because of churches doing just what we're going to do. We had a missionary that was working up on the very edge of Somalia, and he had realized that one of the things that was deterring his getting into the villages was his truck. It traveled too far too fast. And so he wanted to slow down and be able to connect with the people that lived in that part of Ethiopia and southern Somalia. And so he was riding his bicycle, and he's out there in the middle of them, in the mountains of that part of Ethiopia. And his bicycle, and probably to, I'll talk to the bike guys here, didn't have brakes good enough to be able to hold him as he's going down the side of a mountain. He lost control of the thing, and I mean, he broke several bones He's out there in the middle of nowhere, and we had to medevac him out from northern Ethiopia to Nairobi. That's not easy. And we had to have the resources to do that right then, and it was because of churches like this that had really sought the Lord and said, we've got these funds available for when you need them. And so I want you to know that we don't know. I want you to know you don't know. You don't know how God's going to use this gift. But I do want to assure you that our church takes real careful care of the mission funds that we're going to choose to give, commit for the next year. And then let's just ask God to use these funds for His glory in new places so that people that don't know the Lord today can have the opportunity of knowing Him. And so just a special chance that we have to seek the Lord and ask Him to put on our hearts something beyond the normal and say, Lord, if you would, I'm going to by faith commit to this and if you'll provide that, I want to give it freely and I want to celebrate your work in my life and you use this to touch the nations for your glory. So just a key part of what we're going to be doing this weekend. 
Okay, I told the, the folks at worship time, we get together and pray a little bit. Guess what I'm going to do today? We're going to end a chapter. I'm going to try to bring Ephesians chapter 2 down on the runway and uh, see what Paul has to say to finish the second chapter we've been looking at in the book of Ephesians. So, if you've got your Bible, you can open it up. I want to ask you to stand. I want to read over us Ephesians chapter 2. From verse 17 to the end of the chapter, to see what Paul has got to say to us about what Christ did and what that means for us. Interesting section of this chapter. So, reading God's Word, I'm going to read it for us. And here's Ephesians chapter 2, 17 through 22. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that as Paul sought you to think of what to share with the church in Ephesus, Lord, you helped him discover and record for us your work, what your son did and it continues to do in our lives. And Father, today in a time where we really need to hear who we are and what your, expect, your expectation is and how you are using us to your glory, I pray that your spirit would have freedom this morning. Speak to us so we can be encouraged in our relationship with you. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You all be seated. Last week I started talking about why I really like being a part of this church, talking about teaching. I said, you know, being in Emporia, a city that holds a school that takes very seriously education, and where we learn, where we get the information that we learn is important to understand. And so I introduced, or I wanted to introduce, that Paul, while he's in this prison and he's writing to a church that is a growing church, he's wanting them to learn something that we can't see. We have to take it by faith. And I introduced last week those five things that Jesus did for us, all of mankind. First of all, what he did was that he brought us. He's the one who brings us to God. Last night at baptism, to get to read the story of those two high school students and then the one older fellow that's come here from North Carolina and just the last three weeks has discovered who Jesus is, to realize that it's, I enjoy hearing what happens in the lives of people as they come to a relationship with the Lord, but behind it all. It's God himself who's bringing people to himself. 
Not only does he bring us to himself, he brings us together. He begins to knit the community of people that have faith in him into something we were not before. I found a picture and I chose, uh, now right now I'm wishing I would have had it, at the dividing wall of the temple. The temple doesn't exist now. There's only one, the western wall of that temple still standing that was there when Paul was alive, when Jesus was in that temple. There's a rock. There's a stone. And in that stone, in Aramaic, is written, beware. Do not cross this area on penalty of death. And I left out a key word. Beware Gentiles. Do not cross this area on penalty of death. The Roman government supported the Jewish belief that to go into the temple area past the court of the Gentiles, only Jews could go in there. And that reality is still with us. One of the rocks when they tore down the temple, that stone was not broken. It's one piece, and you just see it. I don't know how many warning stones they had around, but if we were alive and back in that part of the world, you would see that marker of beware, do not cross into this area. This is for Jews only on penalty of death. And what happened was Paul brought an offering back to Jerusalem. And when he brought that offering back, guess what he did? He brought some friends with him. He brought a guy from Ephesus by the name of Trophimus, I believe. And he brought him in, and he did not take him into the temple. But all the Jews that knew that this guy who was the Pharisee of the Pharisees, the best guy in school, the leader, has come back, and he's now a converted He's in this group called the Christ followers, the Christians, the Christ in thems. And he's got this guy from Ephesus. He must have taken him into the temple because that's what he's starting to preach. There's a difference. And so when they saw Paul, they went out and they grabbed him. They started to beat on him. In fact, they were pulling on him so much they were going to try to pull him apart. And that brought the police department of the Roman legion that was right there by the temple, they came out and said, what in the world's going on? And they had to get Paul away from them. They had to lift him up. And they carried him and locked him in jail. That changed Paul's whole life. Because he was planning to take his fourth trip, go to Spain, go to Rome, and then on to Spain, and continue to take the gospel to that side of Europe. It all stopped that day. Once he was locked up for what the Jews were accusing him of doing that he did not do. He did not take that guy into the temple. But that dividing wall that was there changed Paul's life. And so Paul says what Christ has come to do is to break down the dividing wall. And guess what? Today the wall doesn't even exist. But on that day it did. And Paul is telling the church in Ephesus that Jesus has come to tear down the dividing wall between all of us. And we go from individual relationship with Jesus Christ through faith into a community. And that community is called the church. And we are that. And so Paul is trying to teach us 
what Jesus did to get us started, to get us into what we are becoming. So he brought us to God. He brought us together. He broke down the dividing wall. And he creates in us one united humanity. Now here's what's, this is by faith. We cannot see this. But the Bible says that once you were Jewish, once you were Gentile, both those humanities, he creates a new humanity. He doesn't make the Gentiles become more Jewish. He doesn't take the Jews and let them open the door because they're the children of God. They're the family that God sent his message through. He says, no, he's taking the diverse humanity and he's making us a new people. Now, that's a miracle. And I want you to, now I'm going to plug the mission conference. Folks, I want you to come and listen to what God's doing today in 2018 of doing that, of making, in my world, that I, where I saw Turkanas and Samburu get together, where I saw Lozis and Kikuyus, and they would fight each other. But as the church began to transform their experience of knowing God personally and then beginning to discover how God's speaking to people that I used to not like, and he's making us into a new humanity, a different kind of people. Those are the five. I just gave you a review of last Sunday, and I left off number six intentionally. And so the last thing that Jesus did that Paul's telling all of us as the church that he's come to do this, that's in verse 17. And verse 17 Paul says, and he came. Now, getting my, as I've meditated on this, thought about it, you know, it's kind of interesting. He says he brought us, so I think he got the time order out of order because he had to come before he brought us. So, you know, just kind of logically thinking the order of what God did. But Paul says, oh, no, he came, and look what he did. He came and he preached peace. Now we're talking about what Jesus did to break down the dividing wall where there's no peace, where there's conflict. And he said that Jesus came to break down that wall and that he's preaching, he's proclaiming, he's telling us that in him there is peace that you can't find anywhere else. He came to pre preach peace to you guys who are far away. Now you know, Jesus didn't go very far. Now, you look at the map, Israel, where Jesus went to Galilee, got clear over the Mediterranean when he was in, uh, up there on the coast, and he got down to Jerusalem. He went over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But you look at that map. He, didn't, he really didn't travel more than maybe 100 miles. And yet Paul says he came and he's preaching peace to us who are far, far away from him. I don't know about you, but I can remember when I was far away. I can remember what it was like to watch Christians and kind of think, ah, what in the world? Why in the world are you people, why do you go there every Sunday? Doesn't it get old? Don't you get tired of continuing to do the same thing over and over and over until I began my own personal relationship 
with Christ by starting by agreeing with him that I knew I was sinful and separated and receiving all he did began to change my perspective. And I began to discover that where I would have conflict, as I would listen to him and as I would let the Holy Spirit work in my life, I began to find that those conflicts would go away and I'd have peace in my heart. One of those examples. Last week I got to talk to one of the boys in junior high. And we were talking about things that happened and I told him a story. It was Halloween, my freshman year in high school. I'm going to tell you something that very, very few people know. My mama worked for the hospital, and she was the bookkeeper. She was the accountant bookkeeper for our Sheridan County Hospital in that town. And the hospital administrator had come from another town. And you all know, as some of you know, you live in small towns. People that come in from the, from the outside, they have to work a little bit to fit into our community. And we're, not, we're just like all the other little small towns. We kind of like our group a lot. Well, this family came in, and they struggled a little bit uh, because they had to make some very hard decisions about the hospital and how the hospital was going to be run. And so there were some tough decisions that were being made in the hospital. And I heard about those. I'm a freshman in high school. I don't understand economics. I don't understand a lot. But I do know that that family's not really appreciated living in our town. So it's Halloween night. I've got to go meet my parents up by the high school, and I'm all by myself. I run through, I'm running through the alley. I come on their home. They're building a house in Hoxie, Kansas, brand new home in the middle of the town. And as I go by, I get this crazy idea, I'm going to break some windows. And I did. Enough, big enough rock. I don't remember how many I broke. But I broke windows out of their house. I go on. My mom, my dad picks me up, takes me home. Next day, guess what happened? Mama comes home from the hospital. And she says, you know what happened last night? Somebody broke out the windows of the family's house. I hope the police catch them. They deserve anything that's going to come at them. Who would do that? Mama had no idea that she was talking to the culprit. And I want you to know that after I came to understand that I have forgiveness in Christ, that I confessed that, that was wrong, that I made a phone call to that family. And it was, I was a fresh, so it'd be five years later after I did it. I told them, you know, of course nobody knew who did it. They never knew. And guess what? When I called him up, the husband, and I said, I want to ask you if you remember, guess what? He remembered everything about it. Guess what else he knew? He knew what it cost. And I asked him, I said, you know what? What I did was wrong, and I want to pay you for the windows. And not only that, I want to put some interest on it, because that was an expense that you didn't have to bear. You know what Christ does? He'll bring peace where we have conflict. Now, my mother had had a stroke. My mama never got to hear that story. I can't wait. My mom trusts because of her relationship with the Lord. She's in heaven. And, you know, I'll get to tell her that story, that mama, remember the day that you said you hope they got caught. Well, they never got caught, but we made it right. That what Jesus comes to do for all of us is to preach peace where we have conflict. And so those six things that he's done, 
He brings us to himself. He makes us together. He builds us or brings us together. He breaks down dividing walls. He creates in us that new humanity. He reconciles us to God, and he preaches peace over us. That's his work. We had the seven rocket verbs, and now we've got all this work that he does. And then what Paul does is he says, okay, he's done that. This is the result. Because God blessed us, he chose us, he predestined us for adoption, he drenched us, he lavished on us, he made known what we don't know, and he ties it all together by sending his son who brings us to God. We just go down all those verbs. Now we're up to more than 10 verbs that God's doing in our lives. And Paul says, guess what's going to happen? Something of this new humanity begins to take place. And that's what starts in verse 19. So then, you who are no longer strangers, we're now not talking about our personal relationship with God. We're talking about we as a community of people. Because we're in Christ, because we now know what he's done for us, and I listed all those verbs, he says, you, in that new humanity, you're no longer strangers. So our mission conference next week, or starting Friday, we're going to start to meet people and hear stories of where tribes that were, and peoples that were not together, God is bringing us together into that new humanity. You who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. The first thing that Paul wants us to see is that we're in a different kingdom. We are citizens of something that was not before, but is now. And that is the kingdom of God. And he wants all of us in a, that have that relationship to realize that being in his kingdom, it, first of all, it's a very good thing. Being in his kingdom costs you nothing. All you do is... You believe what Jesus said that he did for us. If we believe that he died on that cross, gave himself for us, we have entry into that kingdom. But once you're here, once we're in the kingdom, there's a different king. Remember when the disciples came up and they were arguing about, in fact, it was John's mama who came up and said, Jesus, I want my two boys to sit beside you. And Jesus said, lady, you don't know what you're asking for. They're not going to be able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink. And they say, oh, yeah, we can. We're going to drink the cup. And Jesus calls the disciples together and say, now, listen, you know how the Greeks are. You know how the world is. Their leaders try to lord over them. He said, no, my kingdom's not like that. No, you get in this kingdom, it's going to be different. In this kingdom, the last is going to be first. In this kingdom, we serve one another. In this kingdom, we care about other people and we want to meet their needs. You see, being in the kingdom, now it's a whole different ballgame. That's what the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus defines what it is, his followers. We deal with anger different. We deal with lust different. We deal with the things that come at us. We deal with family different. 
So being fellow citizens in the kingdom, he invites us to learn how to live as kingdom citizens. And church family, that's not a one-day, that's not a one-day deal. That's not even a course. That's a lifetime of us discovering more and more how he wants us to live with his spirit speaking to our hearts. We are his sheep. We hear his voice and we follow him. And as we follow him, he will teach us how to live in that new humanity that brings glory to him. It's not about, I hate to tell you this, it's not about 12th Avenue Baptist Church. I'm sorry. I, I love this church. I really enjoy being with you. But you all were in something a whole lot bigger than that. It is his people that bring glory to him. People are going to realize there's something different about the people that say they know Jesus. So first of all, we are fellow citizens in a kingdom. Secondly, on down the latter part of verse 19, not only are we fellow citizens, we're a new humanity in a new kingdom. He says, you're fellow citizens and you are members of the household of God. I've mentioned it before. I, I, I don't want to ever get over this. That when Jesus came, he wanted us to realize he's not looking for soldiers. He's not looking for a group of onward Christian soldiers. Yes, there's a part of that that we do in his kingdom, but that's not what he came looking for. He also did not come looking for students. You know, he wants us to learn, but our primary reason for being together is not to be militant and try to do something to bring his kingdom. It's not to be super students and learners. He brought us together to be family. Remember the first seven verbs. We were predestined for adoption. We were predestined into a family relationship. And so those of us that are in relationship with God because of what Christ has done, and you're believing in that, he's now welcome to the family. And family is different. Family, I mean, I've even heard from this, but I can't remember. Maybe it was when Corey, in fact, I think it was Corey, when Corey was talking about being in his family. You know, family, we have a little bit more grace towards each other. You know, we got some crazy uncles in the family. We've got people that we don't maybe get along with, but because we're family, we're together. And so he says, not only were members of a new kingdom, we're citizens, he says, no, you're also family. This morning I was just back there in the back talking about marriage in Africa. I want you to know families in Africa for marriage, big deal. It's still today. I mean, I could take you out good parts, different tribes, different groups of Africa. Bride price is real. And so when two families want to get together with marriage, they don't, the families don't talk to each other. They get two crazy uncles. They get two uncles usually who are very, understand the family, and those two talk together of what's it going to be for our two families to join. And it can get twisted where women are property. They don't think that. They think it's an honor. So if it's going to take us 10 cows to get that wife to come and be a part of this family, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to decide that she's worth 10 cows. And the way that they do family 
is really different than the way we do family. We don't do that at all. But you want to know something about the African context is relationships are everything. And I think we've got something we can learn from them. Now, I'm not all for bride price at all, but I am for relationship. And I do appreciate the way that the uncles love the daughter. They want to honor their daughter by helping these two families get together. There's just something at a whole nother level in different cultures than the American culture about family. And I believe that when Jesus, it says he came and he preached peace to you far away and those of us here, and we're now family members together, there's a bit of mystery of discovering what it is to love every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. To love the people that are different than we are. To live in a family relationship. So first he says you're in a new kingdom. Secondly, he says you're in a new family. Those two are pretty easy. But this third one gets a little weird. Starting in verse 20. Look what he says. We're members of the household of God that's built on the foundation of the apostles. Those are the 11 who lived with Jesus, knew him. Those 11 apostles, those are set number of people. And the prophets, that gets us to the Old Testament. All the prophets, and we have John the Baptist that was the last prophet. These are real people. We're built on the foundation of those, that group of people. And Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Now, I know there's some construction guys here today. Uh, I wish I would have had some training in construction because I had to build, I, I was raising sheep, and my dad wanted me to build a sheep shed, and guess what I didn't know? I did not know the importance of a corner marker, a corner square, to have it a pure square. That's what a cornerstone is. The cornerstone's the stone that's put in the corner of the building that's going to define everything. It's going to define plumb, it's going to define right angle, it's going to make this building what it's going to become because we're going to measure off the cornerstone. Now, we've got plans today. We do that. Guys, come over to my neighborhood in Topeka. We had the, the surveyors were out surveying the lot, two lots down from my house. Somebody's getting ready to build. And they're putting those little markers in the corners of what's their property. And so Paul's telling us that Jesus is the definer of what we're going to define. He is the first one. He's going to set the angles. He's going to make it right. And so we've got the prophets. We've got the apostles. We've got Jesus, the cornerstone. Now look 21. In whom? The whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The third thing that Paul says we are, is something that's a little unusual. It's not, he says it's living. He says we're a temple. Now, I wish I had the pictures of the temple to show up there. That temple was very, very important to the Jewish people. And Paul's saying there's something bigger and more important than what was over there on that hill in Jerusalem. There's now a living temple with Jesus at the corner 
and every believer being joined together and growing into this holy temple in the Lord. I can understand kingdom. I can understand being in a family. I got a little growing to do to understand what it is to have a holy living temple. Which a temple is a place that people come to worship. A temple is a place where he is lifted up and and honored and worshiped with all the worship that we can give to him. And he says, guess what? It's no longer made of bricks and mortar. This one's made of people. And I'm knitting you and growing you together to be a holy temple that's walking around in a broken world. 12th Avenue, he's got a plan for us together as his people living in this place. As he knits and grows you together to be that living temple where he is worshipped and honored. And in verse 22, he ends it. Because he says, in him you also, being built together, you are a dwelling place for God. You see, that's what the temple was. The Holy of Holies is where they believed that God was. That God had gone down into the Holy of Holies and he'd seated himself there. And you want to see him, you go there to see it. And now Paul says, no, no, no. We are the dwelling place where God wants to dwell in us to touch a broken world. To get this message to them. He wants to dwell in us as as the new kingdom. He's the king. Jesus is the leader. He wants to dwell in us as a family. That's why we pray. And Jordan, I appreciate your growing in your prayer skills. You're growing in understanding prayer. We call him Father. We're in his family. And we don't talk about it very often. But being a living and growing place where people can meet God through those of us that are in a relationship together in a church. Remember the last verse of chapter 1? Last verse of chapter 1, Paul says, And he put all things under his feet, and he gave Jesus his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills, the fullness of the filler, who fills all in all. And then we get to the end of chapter 2, and he says, and by the way, you're a living temple. And he wants to fill you with the knowledge of him. He wants to fill you as the filler. He wants to fill all in all of this holy temple because we're the dwelling place of God. Now, we take that by faith. You know, you come around churches, you don't feel it. I mean, I know I've experienced some, just don't feel at all like God's at home in that place. That's a bit of a mystery. But I do believe Paul is helping us discover what God's plan is through his redeemed people. That he wants to touch a broken world through What an opportunity we have. 
What a mystery. What a privilege. We get to live in relationship with him. I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray. Remember, I said it's good to be an Emporia because you're a town that takes education seriously. Those verbs, those now, the seven, and I think there's six, so that's 13 verbs of what God's done. These first two chapters are not about our work. They're about Him and what He did. And then we just get these last few verses where He said, okay, He's done this so that you are this. His work results in defining us Defining us as a new kingdom, defining us as a family of God, and defining us as a living temple. And He wants to dwell among us, in us, to touch brokenness beyond here. I want to thank Him for that. I want to challenge you to think about that. To ask yourself, do you believe it? Because if we believe it, then it's going to begin to change how we treat each other. It changes a lot if God's really done that. It gives us some responsibility of listening to him guide us. So let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the one who came, that we didn't invent this, that even Paul, who knew lots and lots about the Old Testament, that Father, we really do believe that because you love us, and that you want the world to know how good you are. You've chosen to call us together as a new humanity in your kingdom. We're not like we used to be. We're new and different. Father, you want us to be in your family. And Father, you say that you want us to be a growing, living temple where you dwell. Father, today we can think of examples where that's not true. There's conflict. There's hurt. There's misunderstanding. But Father, I pray that because of your grace and the power of your spirit among us, and as we even get ready to listen to what you're doing among the nations around the world that touch this church, we want you to be glorified. And Father, we want you to teach us and guide us in that path of righteousness of becoming all you want us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in closing today, I want to introduce a new member of our church family. I saw Jared earlier, but Jared Blankley is our newest member, Jared and Becker or somewhere. Jared's going to be just back there by the welcome desk, welcome center. Go by and welcome him to be a part of the family. And I have a benediction. It's in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Here's what Paul would tell us today. He'd say, now. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and that God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may he comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Go be the church.